0: part one chapters two and three of on piety by jean joubert this librivox recording is in the public domain part one the nature of piety chapter two piety is an impulse of devoted love the word piety calls up the thought of love and devotion and it gives an idea of an affection going to the point of self-surrender we say of a child that he has filial piety when he shows tender refined and generous feelings towards his parents when his love fills their hearts with joy and when he sacrifices something that touches himself or his belongings in order to defend or assist them when we call upon christ it is to his loving devotion Pietas, that we appeal we say to him o loving jesus o jesu pie pie jesu domine do we not then invoke the affection and loving kindness of him who loved us and gave himself for us there is also such a thing as maternal devotion consisting of love and self-sacrifice and it is to this feeling that we appeal when we say to the blessed virgin o mother who hast so much loved us and who hast endured so much for us from these ideas it is easy for us to deduce what are the characteristics of christian piety it is a religious inclination certainly but an inclination accentuated by a love that is full of devotion it comprises the whole of religion but it adds to it the fervour of love piety is first of all a religious impulse it therefore assumes that man is in the presence of god his creator it makes man confess that he is the work of god it leads him to the feet of god to adore him prostrate in the dust and to thank him for all his benefits It makes him raise supplicating hands to heaven to implore the sovereign master to console him in his wretchedness and poverty thus on this ground alone piety enables a man to perform the highest act of which he is capable for it takes him by that which touches him most intimately and most deeply and leads him on to that which is greatest even to god himself thus a union is effected between that which is best within and that which is best outside of man and in the presence of this sublime encounter the most powerful minds are overwhelmed with admiration for it is a stirring and awful mystery that can only be experienced by those who are entirely sincere and full of humility and reverence in these relationships of a religious nature adoration is the prevailing factor close intimacy is not set up they are full of awe and not of love and apart from christianity religion stops there the pagan never loved his divinities he feared his gods he offered them bloody sacrifices because he was afraid and because he wished to appease them by immolating what was dearest to him god did not seem to him good and kind but severe exacting and capricious and the worship of god was intended to ward off the divine vengeance the mohammedan apprehends god as being in inaccessible majesty he prostrates himself before him because he is great he obeys him because he knows that his vengeance is inexorable but he does not make his supplication to the father's heart because he believes the world is enchained in the irrevocable fatalism of his eternal designs the Jew too lived under the law of fear. The password for all who would enter the temple was tremble at my sanctuary. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 2. In the inspiration of their sacred hymns, the prophets sometimes had illuminating lights as to the love and the mercy of God, and then they celebrated his loving kindness. But reverence, is what predominates in the ancient worship although god was infinitely nearer to the chosen people than to any other nation he had not become so intimate with them as to make them love him the christian alone it is who loves god because he alone has seen him with his eyes and touched him with his hands in the mystery of the incarnation and holds him in his keeping in the ineffable mystery of the Eucharist. Adoration is always his first act of worship, but love is its end and crown, and this is what transforms the religion of the Christian into piety. Love for God arises in a Christian's heart from the fact that he knows God less as a master than as a father in the work of creation and above all in the work of redemption he sees god principally under his paternal aspect without in any way derogating from the majesty of the creator his loving kindness is progressively manifested towards us god has made us because he loved us from all eternity he fashioned our hearts one by one he watches over us and by his providence supplies our needs he encircles us with his beneficent presence and his grace permeates our wills just as the life-giving air fills our lungs he is all good this author of our being how can we help loving him still more evident are the signs of this loving kindness in our redeemer he stretches out his hand to his fallen creatures to set them up again but he does not stoop down from on high like a master he offers his hand to us on our own footing like an equal and friend for by faith we recognize our god under the veil of humanity hiding the light that would daze us to show the tenderness that touches and draws the heart to himself this feeling of loving-kindness this intimacy of a god who is like ourselves transforms our religious impulse we go to god not urged by fear but won by love we are less at his feet than in his arms and hence it is piety that springs up in our hearts but the impulse of love is generous by nature we refuse nothing to those we love we offer everything and surrender ourselves where fear reigns what is given is a sacrifice where love reigns what is given is a spontaneous offering made without reserve when it is love that brings us to god we come to him with all that we have and are our possessions our powers our time our life our mind and our heart we put all in his hands and as he makes us feel that his hands are only open to receive souls that are worthy of him and who spend themselves in his service our love lays upon us the high obligation of working at our own improvement and on expending in an apostolic manner the gifts that we possess for service this devotion to the god whom we love this eagerness to forward our own perfection and to spread the life of god round about us in order to please god and to win souls for him this it is that gives our religion its fruitfulness and makes our piety blossom forth and carries it on through the fruit that it bears to its fulfilment such is christian piety it imprints upon the religious impulse of our souls the twofold seal of love and generosity that characterize it in the heart in which it has its birth it is a feeling of filial affection towards god and an earnest desire for union with him it carries us along the path that leads to god full of cheerfulness and zeal in the direction of the object of our love it does not expect that meeting with god will bring it the slumber of an idle repose but a fresh activity for more fruitful work piety then is a form of religion but it is also its highest most intimate and active form to religious adoration it joins love to sacrifice it adds the surrender of self and the ardour of zeal religion suffices for salvation assuredly because it gives the grace that is needed for the goodness that is indispensable piety is the best of divine treasures it is the portion of souls touched by the shaft of the love of god and it uplifts souls to the higher regions of moral life but we must take care not to mistake some of the externals of piety for piety itself the exercises of it are only, as it were, its outer bark, a necessary covering, no doubt, but only required to keep in the sap which circulates within the pith. However, unbroken the integument may be, there is no real piety if real intense love is absent from the heart, and if faithful and active service is wanting in the hands. Chapter 3 piety is a form of life this primary conception of piety enables us to affirm that it is a kind of life although life is a mystery that we cannot fathom and although it is easier to feel what it is than to explore its nature at any rate we know that in a living being it is an interior activity consider the plant that grows and blossoms in the fields note the animal that runs hither and thither and the way in which it manifests its emotions you say that they are alive how do you distinguish them from stones without life you observe that they live by the interior activity that animates them if they were only moved from outside like a ball in a game of tennis you would treat them as inert bodies because they would only have a borrowed motion but because an inner force which is real though imperceptible to the eye produces from within the phenomena that strike your observation you attribute life to this hidden power this activity in the living creature is subject to innumerable vicissitudes it may increase in intensity and its progress is brought out clearly by the manifestation of its happy effects it may diminish so as to vanish altogether and its manifestations then become less and less marked until they disappear in death to maintain itself and to grow it must be nourished by borrowing from outside and since it wastes by its own action It would perish if it were not renewed by the assimilation of external elements but we say that piety is a kind of life because it is in the soul analogous to the activity that is found in living creatures it affords the same advantages and is subject to the same exigencies certainly this life in the human soul takes very various forms In the life of the intelligence, the mind seeks for truth and produces thought. Moral life is also an interior activity whereby the will makes efforts towards the good by means of desires and resolutions. But the soul is capable of receiving a further fresh activity whereby both mind and heart together seek God and are united to Him by faith and love this is piety there is no doubt but that piety is a true interior activity since it sets in motion all the faculties of the soul and since it overflows externally in the fruits that are the product of its fecundity first of all the mind is brought into play being enlightened by the splendours of faith having been awakened with regard to god it fixes its attention upon him and advances daily in the knowledge of his infinite being until its thought cannot be torn away from an object of never-ending self-revelation this happy intimacy withdraws the mind from the disturbing appearances of mean and changing things and sustains it in an atmosphere of pure truth with which god himself surrounds it and then immediately follows the heart with its increased treasures of activity under the spell of truth and beauty it is carried away by the impulse of love and repeats the word of st augustine o beauty ever ancient and ever fresh too late have i known thee too late have i loved thee this thrill of the heart leads on to union with the god of our love and then an ineffable intimacy between the creator and his humble creature is set up in the depths of the soul whoever has felt the love of god knows by experience with what a lofty activity it enriches the heart the will in turn receives an increase of activity from the fact that god fills the soul with his strength It is conscious of possessing a power for action that nature alone could not impart. And under the influence of grace called forth in it by piety, it makes decisions more boldly, sets to work with a more vigorous hand, does not shrink from painful sacrifices, and is better equipped for the fulfilment of duty. Through piety, the soul is manifestly strengthened by the presence of a being higher than itself. This interior activity, which is the fruit of the life of piety, cannot be confined within. It reveals itself outwardly as inevitably as the rising sap in spring is revealed in the buds of plants. Later on, we shall note what fruits are to be gathered on the tree of piety but every one knows that owing to the action of this interior life behavior is leavened with modesty and self-control the character becomes more gentle and even speech is permeated with supernatural charity the hands engage in works of zeal and devotion and the whole man abandons himself to the inspiration of grace to immolate selfishness and to make a disinterested gift of self for the true sap of the life of piety produces only such fruits as these but this life which is of such high value is as unstable and fragile as the most delicate of living things it would be an act of unpardonable carelessness not to watch over it and it is capable of increase in saints who abandon themselves to its sway it rises daily even higher and higher whether it be st francis of sales or st vincent de paul st teresa or st john of the cross whether they live unknown under the shadow of a monastery or lost amidst the crowd of a busy world they attain to striking or humble sanctity By means of the cultivation of this life of piety, their faith gains vitality, and they go to the invisible God with as much certainty as if they saw him with their eyes. Their love too becomes more ardent, and in the ecstasy of possessing their God, their tenderness of feeling participates in their joy, their breast expands, and their heart swells and beats more strongly the will too as if healed of every weakness endures suffering with cheerfulness and undertakes work with zeal and perseveres in the most austere of sacrifices and this progress in the life of piety is only realized by the diligence used by the saints in sustaining their souls by the exercises of religion in order to lose nothing of the divine gift they watch the gate of their own heart with jealous care by means of the practice of conscientious recollection which cannot be observed without a constant mortification of the senses they take good care not to let their mind and imagination wander abroad and thus they put a stop to vain thoughts and disturbing fancies which only create disorder in the inner man and at the same time they have a holy hunger for spiritual nourishment they love pious reading and gather from it the bread of faith then they assimilate this spiritual food by means of meditation and since the very exercise of an activity develops life they arouse themselves by the inner motions of prayer by aspirations towards god and by incessant protestations of love and fidelity but on the other hand how many souls alas afford the sad spectacle of a progressive falling off in the world there are many who pass from a life of fervour to an almost death-like coldness and no one is surprised at it nor are they few in the priestly and religious state nor even perchance in the cloister and this is more to be wondered at wherever it is found this falling off of life always passes through the same phases and follows from the same causes the beginning was full of fervour and facility as long as there was a relish for the things of god as long as piety required no effort it was easy to be lulled by it but soon sensible enjoyment disappeared and the first enthusiasm wore off to advance necessitated continual effort and the toil became wearisome spiritual idleness began within the external exercises went on though the inner life was sinking and by dint of growing slack and despite of fugitive acts it ended by losing all activity even if it did not die out altogether then comes the stage of suppressing the external exercises because they have become to be a burden yet these might have restored life once more and if for instance in a monastery they are still kept up from necessity they remain without effect because the soul no longer is alive enough to assimilate the nourishment that they furnish it is strange that as the love of life is so deeply rooted in man's heart, he is so careless about preserving and promoting it. Certainly, he loves his physical life, and nevertheless, the fear of death leaves him careless in the face of perils that a prudent hygiene would keep at a distance. So, too, the Christian surely values his religious life. But he is not less light and lax in his way of meeting the dangers that a little energy would circumvent. If the love of life has so little hold upon our wills, it is because we are doubtless too ignorant of its value and advantage. Let us attempt to gain a more enlightened knowledge of it. End of part one, chapter three.